Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and that message is what drives us and compels us, that you are loved by the creator of the universe, that God, big, great, big God, loves little old you, and he demonstrates that again and again and again for us throughout the scriptures and throughout our lives. And so we're here because of that today. And so we want to understand more what that means and what it looks like for us to live our lives in alignment with that love. And we've uh, been over the last couple of weeks in a teaching series called Awakening, where we're asking God to awaken us uh, to his presence and power in our lives. We're asking God to awaken things in our soul that maybe have died or maybe we didn't even know were there all along. We've asked God to awaken us to the life that he actually has created for us to live. And so we are going to continue in that series this morning. All throughout this time, uh, we have kind of rooted our teaching around this one passage of scripture. And we've even said we want to ask us as a church to memorize this, to literally, the, the Bible calls it hiding God's word in our heart, like tucking it in, storing it in there so that when we need it, it is available to us and has actual transformational power and wisdom for our lives. And so uh, many of us have committed this verse to memory. If you haven't yet, that's okay. We still got another week of this series, so you've got plenty of time for that. But what we are going to do is read it out loud together. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. Let's read it like we actually believe it might be true. And if you have memorized it, this is your time to showboat and you can actually do it with your eyes closed. So let's read this passage together coming out of Isaiah. It says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Forget the former things. Don't dwell. Don't stay stuck in the past. I'm doing a new thing with you, in you, through you. So let's be about, let's open up our hearts, our minds, our lives. Let us awaken to the thing that God wants to do. And for many of us, it may be what we're going to look at this morning may be a very new thing. It's not a new thing to God. It's not a new thing to God. In fact, this is what we're going to look at this morning is an idea that God rolled out 2,000 years ago. But because so uh, few of us have heard this sort of teaching and put it to practice in our lives, it is going to be for many of us a new thing this morning as we awaken to the way that God wants to literally change the world through our lives, but also more specifically, change our very lives. So can we pray together and then we'll get into the text today? Let's pray together right now. God, that is what we ask and we may not have even walked in here with that language, but that is what we come together around. We want you to awaken in us an awareness and, a, and really ultimately a dependence on your power and presence. We believe you're here, God. And we believe you have something for us that you're gonna speak into our lives, God. And not only speak in, but transform, mess things up, turn things around, open our eyes so that when we walk out of here, we will walk out of here as new creations, alive and awakened to you. We pray that you would do this by your power, God. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, here's the deal. We, we are about a month into the new year, if my calendar's correct. About a month into the new year. Right? Big day today, obviously, Super Bowl. It's, I know it's a big deal. I appreciate all the 5 o'clock crowd that came here today to the 11. That's awesome. I also just want to quickly say a word about that. I, I, I know Chicago doesn't have a dog in this fight today, but I want to say thank you to all of you who are wearing your Bears jerseys. I love that. It's an act of defiance and, and delusion at the same time. And so 
bless you. <laughs> you got to love a city that celebrates what happened, you know, 30 years ago. You got to love it. We are still holding on to that. So, uh, but it's a new year. We're a month into it. Here's the deal. We're actually going to turn. I'm going to have you talk to the person next to you in about 60 seconds. I only tell you that so that the introverts don't freak out. I'm giving you fair warning. That's your warning shot. We're going to talk to other people here in a second. And here's what I want you to turn to the person next to you and talk about. It's a month into the new year. And many of us started this year with great uh, ideas or ideals, resolutions that we wanted this year to be about. Here's a simple question. doesn't need to be too complicated. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Please find out their name. I welcome them here. And then ask them, how are you doing on your resolutions? Have you, here's the more specifically, have you accomplished any of your resolutions? And if they keep staring at you, maybe ask them this question. Do you remember your resolutions? <laughs> All right, so go ahead and ask the person next to you, how's it going so far? We're a month in. How are you doing with your resolutions? Do you even remember them? Okay, we gotta bring it back together. That's good. This is good, inspiring talk. Maybe you're getting inspired to dust those resolutions off. Hey, here's the deal. I don't, I don't know. I don't know necessarily what was on your list, whether it was actually a written down list or not, whether you kind of formalized it or not. But I bet the truth is for every one of us, whether you're a resolution person or not, we all have hopes and dreams and desires for this year, don't we? We all have some hope or desire that this year might be different and hopefully better than last year, that we might kind of be about things that we said we're going to be about for a long time and break old habits and patterns that we've been holding on to. We all have those dreams and desires, whether we formally write them down or not, don't we? And there's a common thread I think that's true of every one of us as well, is that typically if we were to walk through my list that I came up with at the start of this year, if we were to walk through your list, there is a, a theme and a thread that kind of uh, you know, weaves and binds through every one of those, and it's a very small word, but it appears around every one of our resolutions or our dreams or desires for this year and for our life. And that word is me. That all of my sort of resolutions and dreams and desires for my life are about me, ultimately. And that's understandable, but you know, it's about my health, it's about my career, my sort of calling, my relationships, all the things that I want to do with my finances this year. That's understandable, it's a, it's a good place to start, but matched with that is this undeniable and unavoidable tension that every one of us has, that even though all of our lists start with me, we have in every one of us a desire to do something significant with our lives, don't we? The truth is for every one of us, I believe this, for some of us it may be buried a lot deeper than others, but for every one of us we want to do something significant with our lives, don't we? We want to do something that matters. We want to do something that has some purpose to it. I mean, this is why there are so many nonprofits started every year. I mean, over the last five years, more nonprofits have popped up than at any five-year period that I could ever remember in our nation's history. I mean, kids don't start bands anymore. They start 501c3s. I mean, <laughs> why is that? Why are we so cause-driven? Because we want to give ourselves to something greater than ourselves. And yet all of our lists begin with me. And so there's a tension that every one of us must face as we awaken to the life God has created us for is what do you do that is greater than you? Think about your life right now and kind of go through either your list or just how this year is going so far. And no guilt, no shame, just being honest, right? What do you do that is greater than you? What, what do you do or give yourself to that is greater than sort of your own agenda or your sort of own like list that you want for yourself? What do you and I do? What do we do 
that is greater than you. See, in a couple hours, we are going to be bombarded with messages after messages. People are spending millions and millions of dollars to convince you that it's all about you. And that if you just had this, or if you were just like this, and all you have to do is buy this, and it's all about you. And yet every one of us knows that it's not just about that, don't we? We want it to be about something greater than us. So what do you do? Or more specifically, how do you do something greater than you? Well, not surprisingly, God has a thought about this. Several, in fact. And we're going to explore God's idea of how we become a part of something greater than us. It's a revolutionary idea that God rolled out into our world about 2,000 years ago. And for many of us, it will feel and seem like a new thing for us. But it's what God has been at work doing all along the way. It has the power, this, this way of God, this way of living that God wants to awaken you to, has the power to not only change the world, and it has changed the world, but it has the power and potential to change your world, your life, your purpose, what you do with the one and only life that you have. You want to know what it is? No? Okay. Well, we're done then. I guess that... No, I do. So what we're going to do is actually go to God's word together to look at God's idea for how we become a part of something greater than ourselves. If you would grab your Bible and open to Romans chapter 12. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We've got you covered. There should be a blue Bible in the seat back in front of you or under your seat. Please do that. Would everyone grab a Bible right now or pull it up on your phone, do whatever you have to do. And would you do this as well? Would you grab a pen we're going to be taking some notes, we're going to be underlining some things, circling some things, and wait for it in a minute, there's going to be a quiz, all right? Everyone loves quizzes. So grab a pen, grab a Bible. In the blue Bibles, it's page 790, is what it's at, Romans chapter 12. We believe that God's word, this book called the Bible, has transformational truth for our lives, and so we want to make sure that you are able to read and discern and determine what you believe, if you believe that this is true or not. So here's the deal. If you don't own a Bible, we say this all the time, if you do not own a Bible, this blue Bible you hold in your hand is yours. People have generously given these Bibles so that you can steal them from church. And we would love nothing more than for you to steal a Bible today from church. So that's what we want to do. Page 790 in the Blue Bibles, Romans chapter 12. A little context for God's big idea to change the world through little old us. This book of Romans is not written as a book. As many of you know, it was written as a letter to a church in the city of Rome almost 2,000 years ago. And this letter was written to a group of believers that had become the church. Paul was influential in their conversion and in getting them set up to start as a church. There had never been a church before in Rome. A lot of things had been worshipped, but God himself had not been worshipped in this way as this revolutionary band of believers called the church. And so there they are, this different way, this radical revolutionary way in the midst of the largest city in the known world. Rome in this day was the capital of the world. And at the center of it was this band of believers, these followers of Jesus, who Paul is speaking to in this letter. And I believe he's speaking to our church as well. In fact, at the beginning of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, is a foundational verse for this church, Soul City Church. It talks about how we actually transform and grow and how growth is actually normal, not the exception to the norm. 
and what that looks like. Foundational verse for us, but we're going to look just a few verses past that to Romans 12, verse 4. Paul pulls a metaphor that everyone can relate to and yet has deep spiritual meaning and truth that I think applies to our lives today. Let's dive into the text, Romans 12, verse 4. If I pause, you speak out the word. Is that cool? Can we do that? Put up on the screens as well. For just as each one of us has one body with many members or many parts... And these members or parts do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form what? One body. And each member, what? Belongs to all the others. Let me read that again. For just as, look at the metaphor Paul uses, about the most basic metaphor you can use. But look at the deep meaning that God gives him for this metaphor. For just as each one of us has one body, and you can imagine the readers going, yep. All right, we have one body with many parts. Yep, I got that. All of them, yep, got it. And these parts, these members, don't all have the same function. Obviously, right? We go, yeah, of course. The hand doesn't do it. The foot does. The eye doesn't do it. The ear does. We get that, Paul. What's your point? Paul says, here's the point. In Christ, though we are many, we form one body. And each member actually belongs to the others. What Paul is saying here is that we are actually a part of a bigger thing. Each of us plays a part. Each of us has a part. But you are not the point. Your life is not the point. My life is not the point. Jesus and his church is the point. And we all get to be a part of that. In Christ, we are many parts forming one Body. Paul takes a basic metaphor and expands deep theological truth. In our great diversity, all of us being distinct and different and having unique abilities, uniquely created by God, in our diversity, we actually have unity. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Oh, that it would be lived out in our city and in our world. And God says, this is is my plan for the church. In your diversity, unity. Many parts One body, every part important, no part is the point. That makes sense? Paul says, look, this is how it works. This is how it works. And you can imagine, I mean, just imagine the reality of your hands not showing up for work tomorrow. How do you think work would go tomorrow? If your hand said, you know what, we don't think we're as important as the feet. Clearly, we wouldn't have gotten here if it weren't for the feet, so we're going on strike all 10 fingers, we're out. And so all day, you literally have to like type and tap. I mean, it would, be, it would be really funny, but it would not be functional, would it? In the same way, if there was a rivalry between your eyes and ears, and your eyes wanted to do what your ears wanted to do, and your ears wanted to do what your eyes wanted to do, it would be a mess. Let me take it to another level. For those of you, anyone ever broken a, a, a bone in their body and had to wear a cast, just by show of hands? If you're in one now, you get bonus points. All right. You know what that's like, how you have to reorient your whole body to work around a cast or a broken bone. Anyone who's had to live with any level of disability knows this every day, don't they? Don't you? That the body works together in beautiful harmony that we rarely ever pay attention to. And anytime any one part says, I'm going to sit this one out, the whole body is affected. Paul expounds on this thought in 1 Corinthians 12. Write that down, 1 Corinthians 12. Very similar passage, but he kind of pulls this point out a little bit more in 1 Corinthians 12. How the body, every part is important, but no part is the point. Our 
Diversity is what brings us to unity. So Paul goes on to expand on this idea in Romans 12, verse 6. He says this, we have different, what's the word there? Gifts. That's very important. Underline that. We have different gifts. That means that these are not things that we mustered up or came up with on our own. They were given to us by God. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We talked about that in the first week of the series, about what God's grace does for what we have done. If your gift is prophesying, and in that time, that word means a little different now. In that time, that word meant to speak truth into, to speak truth over, to see through people's lies and cover-ups and all the surfacey stuff, and to speak God's heart into things. So Paul says, if you have that gift given to you by God according to the grace given to each of us, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If, if, if your gift is serving then Paul says, wait for it, serve. If, if your gift is teaching, then teach. Moving on, verse eight. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Paul is breaking down a very if-then sort of scenario. If this is your gift, then Use it. Not if you have a gift. That's already assumed. Every one of us has a gift. Anyone who has a relationship with God has been given spiritual gifts by God. So Paul says, if you have a gift of this or that or the other, use it. Just as you depend on every part of your body working and functioning every day, this body, this movement of Jesus depends on every part doing its part. Every one of us. Paul doesn't go in here to talk that these spiritual gifts, this is a concept we're looking at this morning, this spiritual gifts. Paul doesn't say, look, if you've been a Christian longer, you get more. You put more time in, you get more out. Paul doesn't say, look, these gifts are totally dependent on where you come from or what your gender is or what your race is. No, no. Our diversity is based on the premise of equality in Christ. Because of that equality, we have a beautiful diversity that forms a fantastic unity. All of us, every single person in relationship with Jesus, hear this new believer, new follower of Jesus, you've been gifted by God to make a difference in this world. God wants to change your life through those spiritual gifts. Hear this crusty old believer. You've been walking with Jesus for so long now, like you actually knew Moses back in the day. Like you have been with Jesus for a long time now. Hear this believer. You are gifted by God. You are gifted to make a difference. And it's not too late and it's not too soon. Every one of us, gifted by God. This is God's plan. This is a huge part of God's plan. To grow his church and to change the world through everyday ordinary people like you and me, gifted by God to do something greater than us. Church is built on Jesus Christ, but its strategy is spiritual gifts. The church in history has never grown simply because of great structures or great strategies. The church has never grown simply because of really slick marketing and great Facebook ads. Those things are fine. That's not what God uses to grow his church. Church has not grown throughout history, and this church is not simply, simply growing because of professional 
ministers, people who get paid to be Christians. <laughs> Do you want to know one of the primary ways God grows his church? It's everyday ordinary people like you and me using our spiritual gifts. If you have the gift, then use it. Every spiritual gift of God, listen to this, every spiritual gift of God is in actuality, ultimately, a glimpse of God. Our spiritual gifts, and we're going to walk through them here in a second. The ones that Paul mentioned, he mentions others in 1 Corinthians 12 and in a few other passages. All of those spiritual gifts are really nothing more than, get this, a glimpse of God's character, wholeness, fullness. God literally gives us a glimpse of himself, and that is our spiritual gift, a part or a portion of his nature. Thomas Merton says it this way. He says that God utters me, speaks me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. In the words of Keanu Reeves, whoa. <laughs> Let me say that again. God utters you like a word containing a partial thought of himself. Merton goes on to say, a word can never fully comprehend the voice that utters it. You and I can never fully understand God. But he says, if I am true to the concept of God that he is speaking into and through me, then I shall be lost to myself and find my actuality in him. Your spiritual gifts are a glimpse of God. And when you and I sit on our hands and avoid the power and potential of God's giftedness in you, then the world is robbed of a glimpse of God. But deeper than that, you miss out on the life that God has actually created you to live. God desires for you to discover and to develop and to delight in the spiritual gifts that he's given you. This is God's big plan. It's a very small one. He has uniquely gifted every follower of Jesus Christ with spiritual gifts and abilities, and it enables us to do things greater than ourselves. Working definition. So maybe you've heard of this concept of spiritual gifts before. Maybe not. Let's just kind of give you a working definition to understand how this works day in, day out. Spiritual gifts, sort of simply put, is this. Spiritual gifts are what God supernaturally does with what I naturally do. Think about that. Spiritual gifts are what God supernaturally does through his power, his presence, through what I would naturally do. This is a very, very, very important concept, that our gifts that God gives us are always in keeping with who he's created us to be. What you and I are put in this world, called by God, gifted by God to do, is always in alignment with who he's created you to be. Does that make sense? So what God does through spiritual gifts is supernaturally does something through what you and I would probably naturally do on our own. But it would never be greater than us. But by God, it is. Supernaturally, through what you and I would naturally do. Who you are and what you do always work in tandem with God. And somewhere along the way, we got this notion, I don't know where it came from, that to serve God is, to, is a hard thing that we have to do. We're not going to enjoy it. It's going to be tough. He's going to send us somewhere we don't want to go to do something we don't want to do. 
but we better do it because that's what God wants and that's what makes him happy. And so many Christians sort of just serve because they got to serve and because they got to do it. And that couldn't be further from the idea of spiritual gifts. Who you are is always in alignment with what God has created you to do. He wants to do something supernaturally through what you would actually do naturally. And so the goal for us is to discover and to develop and to delight in using our gifts to literally join in with what God is doing, to give the world a glimpse of God and to see his church grow, this world change, but more specifically, our lives change and have a greater sense of meaning and purpose and direction. Does anyone want that in their life? God has already given you away through spiritual gifts. Now, when I began to discover my spiritual gifts, I didn't have a rock-solid, powerful sermon like this to direct my life. That was a joke. I didn't, I didn't know any of this language. I didn't know any of this stuff. It's been in the Bible all along. I didn't know. I'd never heard anyone sort of teach on this concept before. The church I went to was a great church, but we paid people to do the work of God. That's what that was for. Until, as a middle schooler, I was going to church with my parents, I... I kept falling asleep. I kept falling asleep in the sermon. Again, same thing, like, God, following God is hard. Like, I can't even stay awake through it. Like, it's, and there are times where it is very, very, very hard, but this was just, I was just, it wasn't just hard, it was boring. And so my parents said, you have to do something about this. Like, snoring in church, just, you gotta fix that. And so I decided, you know, okay, I got to get out of this room. It's too stuffy. It was too boring. And so somehow as a seventh grader, I got signed up or volunteered to help teach our Sunday school class to four and five-year-olds. Nothing wakes you up in the morning like a room full of four and five-year-olds. And so there I was as, you know, this 13-year-old kid trying to teach to four and five-year-olds. And thankfully, developmentally, I wasn't really that far ahead of them. And so... <laughs> As a male 13-year-old, I was right in line with where they were at. And so, so there I was helping out, serving snacks, you know, just trying to help. At least I was staying awake, right? Until a couple months in, they asked if I would teach the Bible lesson. I was so excited to do it. I couldn't explain it. I'd never done that before in my life, but I was so excited to do it. And so I got all fired up. I remember exactly what I preached those many years ago. I preached, mind you, it was a seven-minute devotional for four- and five-year-olds, but it was a sermon as far as I was concerned. And so I taught on the, the story in the New Testament of friends lowering a paralytic man into a room where Jesus was preaching so that he could heal him. Maybe you've heard that story. But I knew I had four- and five-year-olds, and I had seven minutes, and I could not do this kind of sermon then. And so what I did was I actually, on my own, no one asked me to do this. They just asked me to teach the lesson. I built my own diorama <laughs> to show the kids what it was like. I took a shoebox, I cut a hole in it, I took string, and I lowered G.I. Joe guy, a G.I. Joe guy, wrapped up like a bandage, like into the room. It had physical, like, it worked, right? The whole thing worked and lowered him right into the room where Jesus was with grenades. So that was, con <laughs> the concept was a little confusing, but it worked for four and five-year-olds. And, and so I remember teaching that thing being, I felt so alive. As a 13-year-old, I wasn't just not sleeping in church. I was awake. And I was awakened by God to something I didn't even have language for. 
Fast forward a few years in high school. I loved theater and was a part of that in my high school. And in fact, my junior year, they asked me to be the first ever student teacher at our high school. I taught second semester theater in my high school. And I, I, listen, here's the deal. I felt like, yes, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do, teaching my friends. But I knew this was in alignment with who I was. Couldn't have given you the language for it. In fact, here's how I know that God does something supernatural through what I would naturally do. Do you know what, before I did this and was a pastor, do you know what my life track was? Do you know what I was heading to be and what all my schooling was lined up for me to be in life? Guess what I was going to be? A teacher. You see how God always aligns what you do with who he's created you to be. And so in college, I went and volunteered for the church I grew up at. We had a middle school ministry. And so isn't that amazing? Full circle. Here I am teaching to middle schoolers, just like I was a middle schooler who was asked to teach those years before. And I remember I put so much time and work and poured into writing sermons and, and, and creating sermons for like 15, 14-year-olds gathered up in a room And yet I knew this is what I was supposed to do. And so I would pour my heart into it. I would would use whatever I had. I didn't even have the language. It wouldn't be until after college when G and I had moved and become a part of a church here in the suburbs called Willow Creek Community Church where I first heard Pastor Bill Havel speak on this passage that had always been in the Bible all along the way, but I'd never heard it. And all of a sudden, it made sense. God has given me the gift of teaching. And this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to use this gift however God asks me to use it, to teach, to preach, to do this sort of thing. God is supernaturally doing something that, listen, friends, I would naturally do. If I weren't a pastor, I would be teaching somewhere, somehow right now. I just, because that's who he's wired me to be. You see how this works? This is how we do something greater than ourselves. Still had all the way through college, all, I had a day job, all those things are fine and good. I did not think that just because you have spiritual gifts means you have to leave sort of all your life and responsibilities to only do that. I think your spiritual gifts actually give new meaning and purpose to those things. That now my work becomes a way for me to practice my spiritual gifts. That my relationships are a way for me to exercise these gifts outside of these walls. That my work and my, all that stuff sort of is the means by which provides me the opportunity to come here on the weekend or come here throughout the week or whatever it is to use my spiritual gifts. It gives new purpose to those things as well. So how do you do something greater than you? You serve. You use your spiritual gifts in alignment with who God has created you to be to make a difference not only in this world, but in your life as well. Have you discovered what your spiritual gifts are? This is foundational stuff for our church. Foundational stuff for any follower of Jesus to know what your spiritual gifts are and then to begin to develop them and to delight in using them, every one of us. And so instead of me sort of explaining and walking you through, what I thought would actually be better is if we took a little quiz. But here's the deal. It's actually a great quiz because there's no wrong answers. It's beautiful. You just are going to actually go through and spend the next two and a half minutes looking through and going, God, how have you wired me? How have you created? How might you have given me spiritual gifts? And so what I'm going to ask you to do, there's a card in your seat back or on your seat that says awakening to your giftedness. Would you pull that out right now? Awakening to your giftedness. 
And literally, I love using my gift of teaching. I'm going to put it on pause for the next two and a half minutes so that you can actually ask God, God, how have you wired me? Now, let me just say something about this. Those of you with the gift of leadership, you're already taking this. All right, slow down. Let me explain the rules first, okay? Here's the deal. I'm going to ask you to read through this, look through this, and grab a pen. Would you please grab a pen? And I'm going to ask you to circle two or three that most resonate with you. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There's a lot more gifts, and it's front and back, just so you know. It's not an exhaustive list. In fact, on the back, there's a website that says besoulcity.com. We've set up an online spiritual gifts assessment where you can go through, it takes about five or seven minutes, where you can go through, and it's more exhaustive, and it has the kind of the full list of spiritual gifts as listed and taught in the Bible. You can go home and do this afternoon. Already people are taking it online from the nine o'clock service, so after the service, you can do that. But for now, I thought it would help us understand a little bit more about what God wants to do through you and these spiritual gifts. So we're going to take two and a half minutes to go through and just circle two or three. Now listen, I guess I said, no one, no one has no gifts. Be very clear about that. Nobody has no gifts. And nobody has all the gifts. That was Jesus. That's not you. So two or three. We're going to play some music. You're going to grab a pen. And just would you go through and circle through. I'm going to come back here in a minute and we'll wrap up. going to wrap that up. Now, look, here's the deal. I get it. This is, <laughs> this is not exhaustive. This is not like, you know, we're not making you sign some sort of blood oath that if you circle these gifts, like this is it. Not at all. 
This is just to get us started in the direction of the life God has created us for. And my hunch is, my hunch is that maybe, just like the first time I heard someone teach about this, maybe today for the first time, you're going, oh yeah, that's why. That's why I feel so alive when I'm caring for people because God has given me the spiritual gift of mercy. And I've always cared for people anyway in my life, but I had no idea that God would want to use that for his glory and to change the world. Maybe for the first time today, you're, you're going to go through this and go, oh, wait a second. That's why. That makes total sense. I, I, I get it. Like, I'm always helping people. I'm always trying to be in the background, pushing people forward. I've never caused attention myself. I feel most alive when I'm helping others. Maybe God has given me the spiritual gift of helps. And there's ways for me to actually now start to develop this gift that I've discovered to not only be a part of what God is doing and growing this church and changing the world, but to actually change my life, to give greater purpose and meaning to what I do. So what I love is one of the primary ways God has grown his church, this church, is through everyday ordinary people like you and me, just stepping in and stepping up and saying, I believe God's given me the gift of, and then, like Paul would say, then using it using it. I think about the fact that, you know, as I'm trying the best I can to develop and use the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching that God's given me, do you know what I love? Right now, as we're having this moment in this room, and if you're watching online, it happened in the past, but right now in this moment upstairs, there are people like Trent and like Dan and like Sarah, like Chrissy, like Jesse, who are using their spiritual gift of teaching to teach our youngest followers and members of this church. Up in Soul City Kids right now, there are folks using their gift of teaching to speak into and to pour into young lives like, like our son and daughter. I love that they say, you know what? I believe God's given me this gift. I want to use it. I want to use it. How many of you, just by a show of hands real quick, have signed up to be a part of a small group over the next couple months here at Soul City? Would you raise your hand real high? Fantastic. You know, this is what I love. Here's what I love. So you're going to love it. I mean it, I think, I hope you will. It's going to be great. Here's the deal, though. Do you know how you got into your group? It didn't go like into some supercomputer where you put together all these algorithms and it spit back out a perfect group for you. There's people like Bailey who come in here all throughout the week and who uses her gift of administration to match together sort of what you put on your little sign-up thing and what groups we have available and you're in, those of you who raise your hand, you're in a group because people like Bailey using her spiritual gift of administration. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Here's what I love. Those groups are going to meet. And, there, and there's people like Lisa Schlichting, like Brett and Lindsay Hiltney, that are using their gifts of shepherding and leadership to care for you. The reason our, if our small groups work at all is because people are using their spiritual gifts of shepherding and leadership to create healthy, Christ-centered circles, not just rows, but circles around this church. And we grow because of it. You grow because of them using their spiritual gifts of shepherding and leadership. And what I love is that there are many groups, including mine, that actually meet in this church all throughout the week. And starting this next week, there's going to be a lot of groups meeting in this church. And what I love is that they're going to meet in rooms that have actually been built 
and then demolition, and then rebuilt, and then demoed, and then expanded by people like David Harden and Tim Cho, using their gifts of craftsmanship, their gift of helps, that our church, where we gather together, looks beautiful because of people using their creative spiritual gifts, like the Janae sisters, who make this place, and so many others. They use a gift that, to do what they would naturally do on their own. God supernaturally creates a space for us to experience him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And as we walk around, we see the way that God is, the way that God is growing this church. And it's only by his hand, but God actually uses people with the spiritual gift of giving, like the Durvins, like the Cantrells, who find joy, who find joy, Jerome, who finds joy in giving and feels most alive when they're pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And we grow because of it. And here's the beautiful thing. So do they. Isn't that beautiful? God's economy, the way it works. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like what happens when people use their spiritual gifts. In a moment here, at the end of our service, we're going to line up in front of the stage. And members of our staff and members of our prayer team are going to pray over you. They're going to pray with you. And people like Tracy and people like Jade and people like Lizzie are going to use their spiritual gift of prayer, something that they would be doing anyway, probably on their own, but they actually get to use their gift to be a gift to you. And for those of us who've received prayer and been prayed for these last couple of weeks as we've done this every week after our service, would say it is a gift, wouldn't we? It's a gift to have someone with that gift developing it and using it with you. And what I love is all these people represent many parts, lots of parts, like Paul talked about, all different, all distinct, but all gifted by God. And in that great diversity of gifts, there's a unity called the church that our city desperately needs, that our world desperately needs, and we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of something greater than ourselves. Next week after our service, we're going to do something we do all the time here, but there's a reason we do it. We're going to have a little environment that we call Next. And Next is where you can go to kind of figure out sort of where you fit in what God's doing, where you can sort of bring what we talked about here this morning or bring your gifts assessment. In fact, we've actually asked you to go to besoulcity.com to take that assessment. We have a space at the bottom where we want you to actually write down your gifts and email them to us so that we can pray for you and so that we can help you develop your gifts. I was in an email dialogue this week with a friend of mine named Nicole who helped start this church. And she just said, Jared, will you help develop this gift of teaching in me? Will you help me figure out how to use this gift? Having no idea what I'd be teaching about this morning. I said, yes, Nicole, I would love to develop that teaching gift in you. And that's going to make a great point in my sermon this week as well. It's a win-win. <laughs> Friends, this is what we do to change the world. We join with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to use the gifts that God has given us. And when we do, it's not only our city and the world that changed, it's us that's changed. Our hearts, our lives are given new purpose and new meaning. And our hope for you as pastors of this church is that you would discover your spiritual gifts, that you would not wait another day, and that you would not sit on your hands with the gifts God has given you, but that you would actually develop your spiritual gifts that you would develop your spiritual gifts and use them here and around the city and throughout your life and that you would begin to delight 
in your gifts and be a part of the beautiful thing that God does. Just as he has gifted you, he's gifted you to be a gift to others. Isn't that a beautiful purpose for our lives? God gifting you to be a gift to others. And no one modeled this better than our Savior Jesus Christ. No one. He not only showed us the way through his life and his teaching, the miracles that he performed, the people that he surrounded himself with, he showed us the way, but ultimately he made a way for us. He made the way to God for us by laying down his life as a sacrifice for our sin. This is the heart of the gospel, friends. Jesus is the way. He made the way to God for you. The way for you to have this kind of purpose and meaning for your life, to actually have the Holy Spirit live inside of you, as we taught a couple weeks ago, and infuse and empower what you would naturally do with what God wants to supernaturally do through you. None of that would have happened if Jesus would not have come first and shown us the way and made us the way. And so what he did on his way to the cross and ultimately to an empty tomb was he gathered his followers together. He sat them at a table. Before he did, he, he showed them again. He washed their feet, served them. He served them. He washed their feet. He took the low position. He did the greatest thing by becoming the least. And then he took elements that were common to the table that everyone had on every table. He knew that they would have these elements for the rest of their lives at every meal they gathered at. He said, listen, listen, let me give you a metaphor. This bread... I want you to remember, every time you take bread, this represents my body broken for you. Broken, that I actually came here from God and that I laid my life down for you. And then he took wine and he poured it into a cup. He said, look, every time you drink, I want you to think of my blood being poured out for you. It's the only perfect, sinless, pure blood to ever flow through human veins and I pour it out literally, willingly for you to cover the cost, not just symbolically, but to fully cover the cost of our sin. Jesus said, this is what I am doing. Here's how I am making away my body and my blood. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we are following that teaching of Jesus this morning, and we are going to receive communion to remember that he is the one who makes the way possible, that he is the one who gives us purpose and meaning for our lives, that he is the one that is greater than us, that gives us something greater to do with our lives. So we're going to receive communion up here at the front. We're going to ask that we've kind of got a lot more folks here. If you can, make your way to the left and then sort of come out to the left, up to the front. There's two stations here in the front, one on each side. You grab the elements. And I just want to, because this may be new to you. You may have not done it the way we do it here. You literally break a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup. Body and blood, just like Jesus taught. Body and blood. You don't need to drink from the cup. You don't need to like do a Gatorade thing and pour it over the person serving communion. That would totally kill the moment, so don't do that. Bread, cup, remember. And we're going to remember the way that Jesus made for us, and we're going to celebrate his death and resurrection because it leads to our life. So you exit out the left, come on up to the front, go back down the right, back to your seat. If we all do that, I think it'll work smoothly, but what I would really love to do more than walk through logistics, I forgot one, we have gluten-free bread over here to the left, so if you need that, make your way over here. I don't want to forget that. 
But instead of just walking through logistics, I'd rather pray for us right now. Can I do that? Would you hold your hands open as we pray to God right now? Would you just hold them open in your lap? Symbolically, just to say, okay, I'm open, God, I'm open. I'm open to who you are and I'm open to what you have for me. I'm open to the fact, God, that you've gifted me to do things greater than myself and that you're inviting me right now to do so. I'm open, God, to a relationship with you. I've been doing it on my own for myself for far too long. I'm open, God. Hands open, heart open to you. Life open to you. And God, as we open ourselves up as best we can, we trust that you are stepping in right now. Stepping into our sin. Oh, our sin, God. My sin. the perfect example of how I want to do it my way, my sin. But you step in. You step into the mess we've made of our lives. You step into the control we've tried to have over our lives. You step in. Praise God you step in. And so we step up to the table today. Hands open, hearts open, lives open to you to choose your way, a way that's greater than ourselves, a way that you made possible for us, Jesus, through your death and resurrection, a way that leads to life and greater purpose and meaning for our lives, for this city, and for the world. Thank you for your way, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you knew all along this was the way. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are even stirring and prompting us now. I pray as we receive these elements that we would be awakened inside with the hope and possibility of what life fully surrendered to you looks like and the joy that comes from serving you with the gifts you've given us, God. Awaken something in us now. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here moving on our behalf, stirring us even now. And we pray that you would complete the work that you have begun in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So please, when you're ready, you can come around to your left, come on up, make your way to the elements, then back to your seat, and then we'll worship together.